Chapter Forty Six of the Social War of Nineteen Hundred, or the Conspirators and Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Meg Turasek. The Social War of Nineteen Hundred, or the Conspirators and Lovers, by Simon Landis. Chapter Forty Six. Lucinda shoots Deacon Stew in her cell, and escapes. Miss Lucinda Armington had received numerous visits from Deacon Rob Stew during her confinement, beside those which we have already described. Two or three of these visits might be worth mentioning, which come near excelling the first and second ones that he made the helpless lady. On one rainy afternoon, the deacon suddenly entered Miss Armington's cell through one of the secret doors, which startled the poor girl terribly. "'How is my darling young lady?' said he. "'I have been wanting to visit you last week, but business of great importance kept me so busily employed that I could not possibly find time.' The last visit I made you was not as pleasant as either of us might have desired it, but I hope you will by this time know me and my intentions fully. Therefore, yield to my wishes like a wise, obedient child. Indeed, sir, said she, what are your intentions? My intentions, my darling girl, are to make you my wife, said the deacon. Well, and how do you propose to do this little business by fair or foul means? Very sarcastically responded Miss Armington. Haughty lady, I tell you, by fair means, if you prefer it, and by foul, if the former don't suit you, defiantly ejaculated he, Ha, ha, ha! You must think that I am a fool or a baby, she said. Do you forget the tutorage I gave you when you visited me on a previous occasion? And, rising to her feet, continued, Deacon Stew, you had better be careful, or I'll murder you before you can leave this cell. Not so fast. My sweet young lady, do you see this? Drawing a six-shooter from his pocket and inging it to her breast. Now stand back, or I will you, interrupted the deacon. Shoot, you cowardly villain, she exclaimed, and as quick as lightning knocked the pistol from his hand, and, grasping it in her own, pointed it toward his holy breast, when he winced like a cur, and begged her, Oh, do not shoot, the pistol is loaded, and tried to back out of a secret door, when she said, commandingly, Stand still, and do not move one step, or I'll blow out your cowardly and villainous brains. Do you hear me? Remember, 
I am as good as my word. He stood like a statue, almost petrified with fear and horror, when she began to laugh at him and said, You are a fine fellow, a nice saint, a model deacon, who dares to insult a helpless woman by all sorts of proposals and assaults. Now, I want you to listen to me sharply, and swear by the God that is above us that you will do as I wish you to do, or I will shoot you as dead as a mouse. Do you hear me? Yes, ma'am, I do, humbly responded the bold deacon. In the first place, I want you to swear that you will never more harm Victor Juno, by word or deed, and will make immediate reparation for all the injury you have done him in the past. Swear it, she commanded. I cannot do that, anything but that, he responded. She cocked the pistol, and fired one shot into his right arm, the bullet penetrating the center of the forearm and lodging in the plastered wall of the cell, when she said, This is shot number one, to disable your right arm. The next will be your black heart, furiously said Miss Armington. Oh, Lord, help me, help me, ejaculated the pious deacon. No, sir, the Lord won't help you, but I will. And raising her pistol towards his heart, continued, Will you swear or die in your sin and shame? I'll swear to anything, ejaculated he. Propose the oath. I will. Repeat after me without mental reservation or prevarication, she said, and continued. I, Rob Stew, do solemnly swear, without mental reservation, that I will never injure by word or deed Victor Juno, and that I will make immediate reparation for all the injury I have done to Victor Juno in the past, so help me God. Now, Miss Armington, I have done it. Will you, therefore, put that pistol down and let me go in peace? said his deaconship. No, sir, not by a long ways. But you shall now give me your keys to this prison cell, and I will lock you up, and leave this place in your stead. Holy Lord God, meditated the deacon, and, turning deathly pale, stammered, Miss, uh, Armington, would you be so cruel as to demand all this of me? Yes, sir, and more, for fear that demons and lunatics in the place below should recapture me. I'll demand you to take off your coat, vest, pants, and hat, and give them to me, for a disguise, that I may represent your holy self for once in my life. This may seem immodest, but a desperate woman knows no frivolous modesty that she would not sacrifice for an honorable deliverance from a fiend like yourself. Do you hear? Take off your clothes, resolutely responded she. 
You certainly would not compel me to strip off my garments before you. Off, interrupted Miss Armington, or die, coward. And cocking her pistol, which made him speedily tear open, take off and deliver the same to her. But she did not attempt to put them on herself until she requested the deacon to tear a sheet into pieces, wherewith she made him firmly tie his own feet together, then ordered him to make a loop of another strip of sheet and place his hands between his back into the loop, which she drew tight with her left hand, whilst she held the pistol in her right hand for a shot, should he fail to obey. As soon as his hands were secured by her left hand, she laid down the pistol and bound them securely. Then she threw him on the floor and cast a lot of bedding on him. To this he objected and was inclined to scream when she commanded him to open his mouth, and she stuffed a large rag into it and bound a strip of the torn sheet over it and his eyes. Thus, his deaconship secured, she removed her heavy skirts, then donned the saintly deacon's pants, vest, coat, and hat. But all were too large, which made her look dilapidated. However, after getting the keys of her cell, and pistol in hand, the desperate young heroine started on her way toward freedom. After leaving her cell and alighting upon the corridor of the second floor of the asylum, she met several keepers, who approached her, staring with amazement at her, without saying a word, when she asked them, "'Which is the best way to leave the asylum?' To which a surly fellow said, "'I don't think that a crazy lunatic like you will leave it any way.' "'Why not, sir?' she said. "'I am no lunatic. I want you to know.' "'I am not so sure of that,' responded the surly fellow, and added, "'John, go for the superintendent, and tell him a strange creature is in our ward, and ask him what we shall do with the queer thing.' Miss Armington trembled at this state of affairs, but she made up her mind to fight her way out, if she had to shoot a dozen. The physician-in-chief and the superintendent both arrived at the spot where she had the conversation with the keepers, and seeing that they might surround her, she backed into a corner of the corridor near a door. And when the physician-in-chief ordered the men to secure her, she drew her revolver and cocked it, and said defiantly, I'll shoot the first man that lays a finger on me. Open the door and let me depart in peace. Who are you? demanded the physician-in-chief. I am a sane person who wishes to be let out of this place, she said. Seize the ruffian, commanded the physician-in-chief, when the surly fellow made for her, but she shot him through his right arm, which scared the whole batch of them, and the trouble was how to get the stranger out of that corner. "'I have it,' said the superintendent, silently, to the physician-in-chief. 
I will go and cause that door by him to be opened, and make him believe that he may escape that way, when either you or I will grasp him from behind. All right, replied the physician-in-chief. The door was opened, and Miss Armington saw what they were after, but she thought that very likely she could make her escape. Therefore, she would go through the open door. But as she moved, the keepers were upon her back, when she turned upon them and fired at the breast of the leader. But at that moment someone grasped her elbows behind her from the outside of the open door. End of chapter 46 Recording by Meg Turasek.